0: All right, guys, thank you for tuning in to the Post Game Podcast. It's your host, Jonathan Weislow. The Post Game Podcast was designed to raise awareness of the experiences, the challenges, the successes, and the failures found in the transition out of sport. We all go through it, and at some point, there's no better way to prepare for it than to hear from those who have navigated the path. The show is real. We aren't here to glorify the transition. We're here to normalize it. We have guests from all sports with experiences at various levels. College, pro, minors, majors, NFL, NBA, NHL, overseas and they're all at different stages in their professional growth. I've got CEOs, entrepreneurs, people who are only a few years into their careers and I also have guests who are still playing and preparing for the next steps. I can only hope that by hearing from the experiences of those who have lived it, we can help current athletes prepare better. Those who are going through it reflect on their approach and at a minimum, provide some great entertainment. All right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning back in. It's your host, Jonathan Weislow. I'm here with Brian Monroe, punter for the University of Miami from 2003 to 2006. He's currently the host on the All Canes Radio podcast, so he might be better at this than I am. <laughs> and for those who don't know, you're the second in Miami football history since 2000. With nine thousand three hundred and fifty-two punting yards, is that? Correct? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Dropping
1: knowledge on me. I, I got to uh, add that to my
0: bio on Instagram then. I do. I do my research <laughs> on our people here. That's what's up. Yeah, I mean, I, there's some people who walk around with their historical stat cards. Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah, they they'll tell you everything you need to know, and you're like, yeah, I really I really don't care that you caught how many touchdowns at Division two school. Thanks yeah. though.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you, you've you got a stat card that I'm going to start carrying around just say I know you. There you go. I like that one. i got to use that. So look, man, let's start from the beginning. You played soccer in high school. My whole life. So it started with soccer? Started with soccer. Walk me through that. So, you know,
1: everyone always goes, well, how did you get into football and become a kicker? And I'm like, well, none of my family's from America. You know, my kids, when I have them, will be the first generation born here. My mom's from Ireland. My dad's from the Bahamas, where I was born. He was a golfer.
0: And if you haven't seen what Brian Monroe looks like, close your eyes and picture Irish and Bahamian together. It, it's
1: just a, it's just a nice caramel color skin. Soft. You know, it's like it's like what everyone strives to have when they go in the sun. You know, in tan. Yeah. I feel like that's what it is.
0: Whatever that color combination it. is, you are probably the epitome of that.
1: And I love it. And I love it because when people see my mom, they're like, "What are you adopted?" I'm like, "No, that's my mom.
0: Red hair, <laughs> freckles,
1: yeah, the whole nine yards." They're like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah."
0: Brian and I are looking into each other's eyes as we're describing what he looks like. It's, it's awkward for those of you who aren't in the booth right now. So
1: you know, my Go mom, on. my mom was never into huge into sports in Ireland. Like they played field hockey and some other things. My dad was a, a golf pro, so did that in Bahamas. So when we moved to United States, we moved in when I was four. So it wasn't anything like, hey, pushing you into this. Like I hear from former teammates of mine about the American dream or how they have that American family relationship where it's like, my grandfather played football at Duke. My, my grand, my dad's going to play football here, you know, the whole nine yards. So I never really had that, you know? So mine's was more of, I was a wild kid running the whole nine yards, you know, the whole everything. So I got into soccer just because we lived across the, like the street from a park. So, you know, okay, cool. Let's go kick a soccer ball. So that's what I did. I got into the rec league nothing more, uh, you know, just for fun with my friends from like yeah. elementary school, the whole nine yards. And then I played every sport that I can think of, you know, back then. Golf, basketball, soccer, track and field. Those are like my main things growing up. And then, you know, I guess soccer started developing. develop and I started to get decent at it. And then there was a guy that was a travel soccer coach and saw me in the rec league and was like, oh, you should play travel because your, your son's good. So started playing travel soccer, got pretty good at that, I guess, you know, and, and grew up with that. Took me into high school and I had, you know, traveled half of Europe playing soccer with an elite team. I did the whole ODP thing, which is called Olympic Development Program in the country, which is we didn't have what academies are overseas. So if you were playing overseas, you would go through an academy. If you're nine years old, you play it at the Manchester United Academy, Manchester City Academy. And you work your way up to get to the first team.
0: Yeah, I've seen that. We didn't
1: have that here in the States. We had what's called ODP Olympic Development Program. I did that. And then I got to high school and my sister softball coach knew me from soccer, told the football coach, hey, listen, you got a kid that can kick a soccer ball the whole field. You should try him out as kicker. I don't know what kicker is. I didn't even watch football at the time. So did you think it was fake football? Like, were you playing real football? I honestly didn't know what it was about because I never really watched it, you know, and to us. I didn't really use the term, you know, football like they do overseas. Right. Because, you know, I was in America for most of my life, you know, my mom really didn't follow soccer growing up either. So I still called it soccer. And this football coach comes up and hey, we want to try you out for, you know, the team. I was like, all right, cool. Well bring your cleat tomorrow. I was show like, show me what right, to kick. Whatever. Never really kicked the football. Never really threw a football. Like maybe a nerf ball like the soccer parties like on the beach and stuff, but never really had like a the
0: vortex. That's it. You know
1: yeah. like that that's it. Yeah. Never football nothing. So I go out there, kick a couple field goals, punt, kick off, the whole nine yards. He's like, all right, great, you're in varsity. I said, what? You're in varsity. I'm like, um, so you're gonna have to talk to my mom because she thinks football is some violent sport and yeah, you're probably gonna have to convince her. Right. So they tell her, he's a kicker. He's not gonna get hit, promise you. So it tells him, hey, listen, he's a kicker. He's never gonna get touched. Don't worry about it. So all right, cool. So I mean, I remember the first day like it was yesterday. I get in there here's your pads, here's your, your pants, put the belt in. I'm like, what? I don't even know where the pads go.
0: So when you had tried out and kicked, you were just doing it without any pads? No pads, just here's your cleats, go kick. Right. So I was like, all right, cool. So I did it. It's a little different wearing pads, right?
1: What? <laughs> Man, they were awful. Yeah. And, you know, I was string bean. At the time, I was probably one. 175, 170, just long neck, tiny, pads look bigger than me. Were was, your shoulders as broad as they currently are? You know, they're always been broad, but they weren't yeah. developed more, you know? I was I was a string bean. Like, I look at pictures when I was a senior, when yeah. I made, like, the all-state team, and I'm like, that's what I look like? I felt like I was bigger <laughs> than that. <laughs> so I didn't know how to put the belt in. I didn't know how to put the pads on. I didn't know anything. I felt, felt like my freshman year was terrible, you know, and then – Like everything else in my life, a coach noticed me and said, you know, I think you have potential. I would love to coach you. So I started coaching, you know, kicking with a coach in South Florida. And he actually coached four of us. And all four of us actually turned out to have successful high school careers and made it into big time college football. In which high school did you go to? I went to Palm Beach Gardens High School. Okay. And then there was another guy, CJ Kogel. Yep. He was from Deerfield. He ended up going to UMass. Then we had Jay Octavia, who went to St. Thomas Aquinas, and he went to Stanford. And then we had Chris Wilbur, who was from Orange County, would drive down sometimes, and he went to Florida. So, like, the coach, you know, he had a pretty decent eye for, I guess, talent if all four of us got D1 scholarships.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty impressive yeah. resume for the coach. The coach,
1: yeah. And then I went to University of Miami, obviously. Of course. I probably started didn't get, like, attention from, like, schools to my junior year. Okay. And that's where it started to really, like, take off. And that's where it was like, okay, football's here. I got soccer. I'm on a travel team in Coral Springs. I got to drive down 45 minutes to an hour just for practice twice a week. You know, do I, do I continue to do this or do I just focus on football? You know, when the first scholarship came from Ohio State, I was like, all right, we're going to have to it's make a It's more of decision. a future
0: here. So
1: I stopped playing soccer. It sucks because it was my first love. Still, I'm still addicted to watching games and everything. Right. And then the scholarships just started coming in. And then my senior year, it just, it just took
0: off. So where'd you have to decide from?
1: So really it was more for me, it was like more the East Coast yeah. of the United States. So I wouldn't say like the West Coast teams really reached out cause you know, punter, kicker, like we, we got yeah, those we, everywhere. We can find one, yeah. right. My final five was Boston College, Ohio State, Florida, Florida State, and Miami. What brought you to Miami? You know, one Wilbur, one of the guys that I trained with, he committed to Florida early. Okay. So that took Florida out of it. Florida actually was leading for me going into my senior year. I liked the coaching staff. I enjoyed it up there when I visited. But when he committed, took him off the list. Then it was Boston College, Ohio State. Too cold for me. I'm an island boy. Love the sun. I'm so, from Virginia and they're too cold for me. Yeah, no. Nah. Yeah. It, it, ugh, no way. Visit? Cool. But live? No. Nah. I can't sorry. do it. I can't do it. So I came out of Florida State and Miami. I did my visits. Went to games. Went to Florida State. Florida State is a a college town. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy that you know, dynamic from school, it's perfect for you. Frat parties, you know, everything is revolved around the school. You know, there's not much going on in Tallahassee, except, you know, it's a capital. Tallahassee. That's it.
0: That's it, really. Yeah, politics and college. That's it. And when I came to Miami... No offense to Florida State, by the boy, way, yeah, but we I mean, are uh, a little bit biased. Yeah, all offense. Bias. I don't
1: care. All offense to of Florida State. Okay. Yeah, because you know what I always say? Hey, where do you live now? Oh, Miami. Okay, cool.
0: Yeah. yeah that's that's great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I came to Miami and... I figured it
0: out before you. Yeah,
1: I came to Miami and, you know, you, you go and... You get to experience the restaurants in Miami in your visit. You sit and eat at the water at the Rusty Pelican. They take you to Monty's on Friday. You see how, like, the college kids, you know, turning up. and
0: uh, The recruiting visit at Miami is uh, like... Uh, second
1: to none. I mean, yeah. dudes literally come here just to get the visit, even if they're not going to commit. They just be like, I want to go to Miami and go out.
0: Uh, families across the country save up to take Miami trips that we experienced as, uh, yeah. as
1: recruits. We're spoiled. Yes. We're literally spoiled. And Miami fits me as my personality. I love, you know, being by, by the water. I love the city, I love the multiculture, like that's, that's me. I'd yes. rather that much than a college town where it's like, hey, we're going to the frat party. Hey, we're going to the frat party. It's like, no, I don't wanna go to a frat party again. Uh, I wanna go to the same- The diversity uh- in
0: Miami, is, is unmatched, and it's, unmatched. it's eclectic, and you've got circles for whatever you're into, if you're into entertainment, if you're into the arts, if you're into finance, if you're into business, if you're into marine biology, you got everything. You
1: got everything. Real and, estate. And we're spoiled, you know. I,
0: and now tech.
1: Yeah. We, and I grew up in Palm Beach Gardens, and I tell people it really was like white, black, Mexican. That's really what we had in Palm Beach growing up. Right. Now it's different because a lot of people move from south to north because it was cheaper. When I got down here, I'm looking at you know these ladies, and I'm like, where are you from? Oh, I'm Venezuelan. I'm Cuban. I'm Colombian. I'm like, man, this is like going to Publix. I'm just literally going down the car. Oh my goodness, i take one of you. Jamaican Chinese. Woo! Yes. And it was just I'm going to edit this part out. I was but in I awe. Yeah. No, nah, you can't edit that out, man. That's the best. <laughs> I was in awe. Literally, I was in awe. That's it, how a
0: lot of people make their decision, by the way. It really is. Yeah.
1: Because you know what? You see it and you're like, can I see myself living here for the next 10 years, 20 years, 15 years, whatever. And i can
0: so i remember i was getting recruited again i'm from virginia so i was getting recruited by the university of virginia okay so that's huge yeah and that was always my dream school and i still like their coaches to me are you know exactly what professional right there they emulate professionalism in everything that they do every conversation you have with them is genuine they run a very tight organization people that come out of there you can tell it's like they came out of an academy for how to live a life as a professional inside and outside of sports. I have nothing but respect for those guys. I mean, they go to games wearing
1: like ties and and jackets and girls are wearing like dresses going to like the Southern Bells and everything. I'm like, yo, you really wearing that to the game? I I
0: had two earrings in in college. There you go. (laughs) I I, I had two two earrings and I went tanning. So, (laughs) but I remember the coach said, listen, man, which is about the decision. He's like, look, man, it's not about where you want to spend the next four years. It's where you want to spend the next 40 years. He goes, you need to plan for where you want to be. That's and that's how I want you to make your decision. And then I got a call from the University of Miami, and it was a pretty easy yeah. decision. Look, you get to the University of Miami, and so you're a kid from Palm Beach who's had out-of-school personal training and coaching that's made you this exceptional kicker that's given you the ability to get recruited to the University of Miami, and now you get there. And what do you see around you?
1: It's like grown ass men. It's like you walk
0: in there and
1: you're just you're in awe almost. You know, you go in there and you're like, wow, well, that's Vince Wilfork. He doesn't look like he's in college. He looks like he's 35. No, that's John Vilma. That's that's Sean Taylor. Like yeah, I've been paying attention now when I was getting recruited to like football now. And you see the best of the best. You saw them win the Rose Bowl. You saw them get robbed in the Fiesta Bowl. You see the first round picks everywhere. And it's just more of that okay, what do I got to do to earn respect? Mm. How do I earn respect in this locker room as a freshman? Yeah, Because that's all you really want to do as far as being a freshman, wide-eyed, walking in. Okay, I don't want to mess this up. Let me not get beat up in this locker room. So what do I got to do to earn respect?
0: What do you have to do to earn respect?
1: You know, for me, it's more of I think you earn your respect on what you put on the field, in the weight room, how you, know, how you handle yourself. I feel like I earn mine's in the weight room mm. and then also earned it in practice being scout team wide receiver and just going at the guys on defense you know because they're like yo what's this punter doing man and yeah. i was actually you know catching some balls and you know some dudes and they're like yo relax yeah I'm like, hey we got to get you you got to get you ready for the game so i feel like i earned respect that way and then when i rode i rode in the defensive bus and when you're a freshman you ain't got a seat you just get up there and you're like, oh, goodness, please. Am I sitting in somebody's seat? Right. So I'll always, you know, be thankful to John Square, my dog. He was a senior at the time, and he sees me walking the boat. bus. He goes, hey, come on, freshman, you can sit with me. And around me on that bus was Antro Roll, T.J. Williams, Vince Wolfert, Sean Taylor, and John Vilma. Mm. Those are the dudes that are around me. So I just listen to the juniors and seniors' conversations and – it made it a different experience as a freshman because you're hearing the best of the best talk about the game, talk about after the games, what's going
0: right, what's going wrong, and the craziest stories ever. It was an opportunity, right, to hear those guys who were at the top of their game in college who ended up being at the top of the game in the NFL. Yeah. A lot of those guys are Hall of Famers. Oh, yeah.
1: They're going to go on to be Hall of Famers. And, I mean, the best of the best, rest in peace, would have been Sean Taylor. You know, unfortunately, his life got taken short. But I grew
0: up Redskins fan, so. Yeah, so there you (laughs) go.
1: I mean, Sean is just – you know what? Everyone asks me, oh, who was the best player you've ever been around? Who's this and who's that? I go, Sean Taylor. There's something some things that Sean could do that you would look at and be like, how did he do that?
0: So is that is that physically or is that more football intelligence? I think it's both with Sean.
1: Sean just knew where to be. Sean, you know, you would see him be on one hash and all of a sudden turn around and be on the other hash and break up a play. You just... just Humanly possible, you shouldn't be able to do that, especially at his size. Sure. I mean, 6'2 and some change, maybe 6'3, 230, 235, you know? And he was a quiet guy. If you didn't really know him or in his inner circle, it was it was hit or miss. It was more of like some days it would be like, Yo, what's up? Some days it would be nothing. Mm. He would be about his business, grinding, football this, football that, and, and that was what he was about. And the things that he put on film – If you just go back and watch what he did to Gulliver his senior year, you'd just be like, okay, that's a freak.
0: So you're around these guys that are the best in the game, right? And if you go on, if you argue with anybody about football, these guys are all the best in the game. We're not sitting here biased because they're Miami guys. And clearly they're going to the NFL. Clearly. Clearly, they've got a one-track mind. How do I get to the NFL? How do I make as much money as possible, and how do I make sure? First that- round. not No
1: second rounders. First round. We're going first round.
0: All first rounders. Yep. I'm setting my family up for generations, mm-hmm. and this is my career. Are you thinking the same way as you're in the bus with these guys? I'd probably say no, only because I'm a punter,
1: you know, and kickers and stuff. You really yeah. don't get drafted like a safety or a linebacker. So, you. He- Everybody has aspirations to make the league, but I don't think punters and kickers think like, "Oh, you're the number one safety in America." Okay, you're the number one punter. Still, might not get drafted. Sure, you get an opportunity. You get you get invited to a camp, but you might not make it because the difference between punters and kickers and other positions, there's only one guy on the team, mm-hmm. and we don't get to make a practice squad. Now it's a little bit different with COVID. They've you know expanded, so maybe you might carry a kicker or punter. But when I was there, no. So if you think about it, there's only 32 dudes at your position in the league. There's not 600 like other positions. There is no practice squad for you. Then our position, guys could be 42, yeah. 43, 44, still kicking. Yep, They're not giving it up. If they're making a million dollars a year, why would you give it's it up? It's a dream job. It's a dream job. Now Especially we have, if
0: you can avoid kicking field
1: goals. Exactly. You know, If you're a, a long snapper and you're just in there mm. snapping. I mean, when I got to San Diego Chargers, the dude was been there for 14 years. 14 years. Who was it? David Binn. Okay. And he was a rock star. He had his own radio show. He dated Pamela Anderson at one point. I was like, he's living the dream. Yeah. So it's harder as a punter because a lot of Miami fans remember this name, Jeff Eagles. Yeah, Well, Jeff Eagles graduated in UM, I believe, 87, 88, something like that. When I came out in 2007, he was still with the Giants. How unbelievable is that? So I I think he left the NFL at 22 years in the league. So it's harder for a punter or kicker to get on as a rookie. So I would say I didn't – I always wanted to dream to play in the NFL, but I don't think it was my dream growing up like some of the guys that I went to school with to say, I'm in the NFL. Mine was more of I'm going to play in the World Cup. Okay. So it kind of transitioned to, okay, well, here's football. Let me be the best of the best that I can. Let me grind and and be like these guys and see what I can do.
0: So you ended up having a pretty successful career.
1: Decent, at Miami. decent. I'd say decent. All
0: right, let's say it's a, above mediocre. Okay, I'll take above mediocre. But a consistent career. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, a consistent career at Miami football. Obviously, you're putting a lot of work into it. Your peer group is all these guys who are going to the NFL. You're a social guy; people like you. I hope so. People pretend to like there you. There you go. At a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> at a minimum, there's a lot of people who appear to like you. There you go. Um, you know, so you're hanging out with all these guys who have this mindset that they're going to the NFL. And so the time approaches for you in your senior year. What's going on in your head then? What are the next steps immediately approaching the draft, after the draft, and what ensues then? So, you know, approaching the draft, you're
1: you're doing like every other guy. You're putting in the the work, you know, weight room. But are you in the back of
0: your head like maybe I'll be an accountant?
1: No, I hate numbers. Never yeah. going to happen. No, no way in hell I could do that. I would mess somebody's finances <laughs> up. I mean, I mean, even remember in high school, I was like, this this sucks. I ain't doing this ever again. <laughs> no, I mean, in my mind is, all right, I'm going to get opportunities, whether that's, you know, you get drafted or you're going to get a free agent deal and you're going to get a, an opportunity. All you can ask for is an opportunity in this life. If you can give me an opportunity on the field, let me show you what I got. If I make it, cool. If I don't, mm-hmm. i go for the next opportunity. So that's what my mindset is leading up to the draft. I'm going to grind. I'm going to put in this hard work and then I'm gonna go ahead and wait draft night. You know, draft gets here. You hope you get picked in the sixth or seventh round, but if you don't, you hope your phone rings and, and a coach is there saying, hey, we'd love to bring you in for camp. We'd love to bring you in for off-season workouts. And that's kind of that's kind of what happened with me. You know, sixth, seventh round came, then the coaches start calling. Hey, you know, we, we'd love to, to invite you to camp. We'd love to bring you in for a workout. We'd love to have you in off-season program. Now you gotta weigh your options. So. Me and my agent went through it. Okay, so Atlanta Falcons will op- give you an opportunity for a tryout. Okay, the Giants will give you an opportunity for a tryout. The Chargers will bring you in for off-season workouts, and they'll keep you through training camp. I said, okay, cool. And well, who's got the most money? Okay, well, they're going to give you this signing bonus. They're going to give you this signing bonus. Huh? So they're going to give me the longest time in camp, and they're going give me the most money. All right, cool. Let's go with the Chargers.
0: So you're looking at this as a means to get as much money as you can in a condensed period of time.
1: I, I wanted to get – well, obviously, the money sounds good, but – you want to be able to get an opportunity to put something on film. If you're just a trial guy in a mini camp, it doesn't mean you get to kick in a preseason game. Mm. The Chargers were saying you will be in a preseason game, you will play. So that was like, okay, I can at least get film for the other 31 teams that if I don't make this roster, someone else might give me an opportunity for a workout during the season.
0: Okay, so you've thought it through past the initial Chargers timeline.
1: Okay. I mean, you have to. That's one of those things in life where you have to say, okay, if I get cut, what's the next step? I'd rather have my plan set. If I do get cut, okay, I better hope that some teams pick me up. And if not, what's my backup plan? i say you have to look at it. But that's anything I feel like in life. Say that again. That was actually really good. <laughs> you know, when you, when you look at it, you have to say, okay, what is my goal? My goal is to make this team. But what if I do get cut? If I get cut, What's my next plan? Okay, well, I want to have an opportunity with the other 31 teams. And if not, what's my plan B? If you don't have plan B already set up, you're going to be lost. But that's what you got to do in every life and every opportunity. Very well said. But it's the truth, though. It is true. You know, and, I, and I've learned that from guys that have been around and and learning and picking brains of some very successful people. And they always tell you, I forget the guy that is one of the best speakers Everybody loves to go to his shows. Tony Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins, okay. Legend. So I had a friend that was obsessed with him, like did everything. And beats on his
0: chest, jumps up and down on the trampoline. But he's
1: got some really good stuff. Yeah. You know, he's got some really good stuff that he laid out one of them when we were going through one of my plans for work. He's like, all right, what are you trying to achieve in life? Okay, this is what I'm trying to achieve as a personal trainer. Okay, cool. How do we get there? You list everything you're trying to get there. Okay, what are the things that are going to stop you from getting there? Okay, well, maybe this, maybe that, maybe this. Okay, so now let's see how we can break those down right now so when you do face adversity, you already have the plan to get around it. Sure. I said, well, damn, I like that. So T-
0: Tony told you that personally? No, Tony told my my friend that. Told your friend that. Yeah,
1: my friend is one that laid it out with me. Gotcha. So ever since then, that's how I look at life.
0: Well, it's good to have peers like that. It man. is. People with access to that sort of brain power and yeah. that sort of knowledge. It's crazy. Oof. So walk me through Chargers Camp.
1: So Chargers camp was awesome. I got to meet some really good guys, some great relationships. The punter that was in front of me was awesome. You know, Mike Cyphers. I learned a lot from him, though, because I was able to learn the what everyone's doing now is the Aussie rules kick that is like the put it down inside the 10. Yeah. He was the second guy ever to do it in the NFL. The first guy was a punter before him, Darren Bennett, who came from Australia. Big old dude. I mean, six foot four, meat cleavers for hands. I was like, this dude's a punter? So... I remember one of the first practices, I was like, I'm not making this roster. And these
0: these are all old rugby guys. So, Aussie
1: rules is a little bit different than rugby. Okay. So, they have different rules. They kind of do it differently where they have to, like, bounce the ball as they run every three steps. Well, rugby, you can just hold it and pitch it down. Right. The ball shaped a little bit different. The scoring's different. But it's very much like rugby. Gotcha. So, Darren Bennett was the first one that came over from Australia for San Diego. I believe he came in the 90s. I want to say he was a punter for the Chargers 10 years, maybe he brought that kick over Then he taught it to Cyphers when they drafted Cyphers. He knew he saw the kid kick and goes, well, I'm out. (laughs) And they're like, no, you're not out yet. They're like, he's like, no, I understand. I see the guy that you brought in. He's awesome. He's exceptional. He's like, no, we're going to put him on the practice squad for a year. You're going to be our punter this year. Don't worry. So he taught him the Aussie rules. He does it amazing. He taught me how to do it. But I saw within a week, I'm like, there's no way. There's just no way. This dude is this dude's amazing at what he does as a job. So I looked at it as okay, here's my opportunity. Put some film out there. When I get an opportunity in the preseason games, and go from there. And that's what I did. Put some film out there. Had some workouts when I got cut. The final cut. You know, I went to the Giants for a, a workout. The Dolphins for a workout. And then I went for a tryout with the Broncos in like mid December with the last two games of the season. And then I went to Canada for a year. Okay. Canada froze my butt off. You're oh, an island guy. Oh man. And I went to we Winnipeg. Don't do Canada. I went to Winnipeg. Oh wow. If you don't know Winnipeg, one, it's the windiest city in North America, <sighs> windier than Chicago. And then you could be at a game and it's negative twenty. I mean, that's gotta be hard as a punter. It sucked. Too. How about that? It sucked. Kicker, punter, you're everything into the wind. it's it against the wind. It sucked. Yeah. Didn't go back. So in the meantime, when you're doing these, you know, bouncing around with these workouts, you're like, what can I do as a job? that I can pay the bills and still be able to So leave. you're not getting paid while you're doing this. No, you're cut. You're cut. There's no, there's no contract. So you're out there, you're, so you're practicing. You're practicing, I came back to Miami. You're training. Train. Who are you training with? I train by myself. Okay. So punters, punters are different. You know, they're not like other positions where you go to a trainer mm-hmm. and you sport specific, hey. And now they're everywhere. Back in 2007, 2008, there might've been one guy down here, two guys down here that was really the guy. Yeah. Now we have training facilities
0: Everywhere. Everywhere.
1: And I mean, they're loaded with technology, the best science, the best nutritionist. So back then, there was only one or two. I stayed with Miami with Swayze. Swayze was the man. He trained all guys from Miami. He trained guys from other schools that came back and trained with our guys. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll still work out with Swayze, kick on my own, hopefully get an opportunity. Did some workouts. And you're making no money. No money. No. Get a job. So what are you doing? So I did an internship at a law firm. Okay. Mac- McDermott, Will, and Emery going into my senior year, so I went back to my guy that I met at University of Miami, and I said, "Hey, you know, I'm going to be doing how, this." How, how'd you
0: get that internship? He was a donor at okay. the
1: University of Miami. Met him through a couple, uh, I guess, meet and greets when you you do that, and then we he was on the sideline, and I remember I met his kids, and his kids were, I don't know, at the time six, okay. eight, nine, something like that. Kid runs up to me, "Hey, can I get a you know a picture?" Yeah, no problem, you know. And, talking to the kid, what's up, big guy, everything else. He comes over, take the picture, and I'm just messing around with the kids. Yeah. And he's like, oh, man, you didn't have to do that. I really appreciate it. You know, fast forward a year later, I meet him through one of my friends who was, he was his living scholar.
0: Okay. So, And for those who don't know, what's a living scholar? So a
1: living scholar is a, a family that pays for your scholarship, and they are your living scholar family. So what they're able to do is get to know you better as a person, as an individual, so you're able to go to their house once a month for a dinner or a lunch, I believe it is, and then there is dinners that we do at the University of Miami where they're invited, and you mm-hmm. guys sit at the same table, and you get to create a relationship with somebody else since your teammates.
0: You know, so we obviously had the same thing with baseball, yep. but I feel like you appreciate that relationship much more the more removed you get yes. from playing. I'm still I'm still great
1: friends with this family, and I'm not, and they weren't my living scholar. But I met him through my friend that was his living scholar. And he goes, you don't remember me, huh? I was like, yeah, I took a picture with your son. Because for whatever odd reason, I have weird memory with stuff like that. I might not remember your name, but I'll remember your face and where we interacted.
0: Do you remember what you ate for breakfast two days ago?
1: Of course, because I eat the same thing almost every day now. And you're consistent. I'm consistent. I'm, I'm trying to you. look good for summertime, man. Boat season. I'm trying to look like you. you and are... everybody hasn't seen him. He's ripped. Big old jacked up
0: dude. This is. There's no. There's not. There's limited video on this. Okay. L- limited video. They can see your shoulders you. and muscles
1: through that white shirt there you got there though. Should have worn black. You should have. That's why I wore black. I got you
0: a white uh, <laughs> white piece of merch. Because you're trying to make you. me look good like you. I appreciate that. I'm a collaborative. There man. You I want Everybody. That's it. We all gotta look good. It's a t- it's a team mentality. It is. It's, teamwork makes a dream work. That's how it is. At the post game podcast. That's it. So, so as, as so as you're making these relationships in college because this is important. It is. Okay. It's the number one thing if you're an athlete. I don't think people recognize how important it is to make meaningful relationships as their student-athletes. To me, besides getting your degree, obviously, it's the number one thing
1: as far as involvement in being a college student or an athlete. Because when you leave, the majority of guys that make the football, I mean, NFL is 1% out of D1. So if you're not one of the 1%, what's the next move? And
0: they play for a few years.
1: Yeah, well, the lifespan is two and a half years for an NFL guy. You know, most people think, oh, Peyton Manning. Like, Okay, well, for every Peyton Manning, there's 15 dudes that was on the practice squad for a year, bounce around, and now is home. Yep. You know? So you got to get a job after you go to college. Okay, well, I got my degree in finance since you brought it up. Well, I met this guy at the University of Miami that runs this, this big hedge fund. You know, let me give him a call. He told me I can call him if I need something. Yeah. Hey, Bob, what's up, man? Hey, this is, you know, Brian Monroe. We met at the One Function. You know, you told me to call you for an opportunity. I just stopped football. I'm looking to get into the financial world. I don't know if you have anybody that's looking to hire somebody in an intro level or maybe just a job. Oh, I got you. Don't worry about it. Next thing you know, you got one of the biggest dudes in South Florida asking around if he doesn't have a place for you there. He's going to ask his buddies that might run a crazy firm,
0: and you have an opportunity. And in life, that's all we can ask for. And you make it sound easy, picking up the phone and calling somebody and be like, hey, man, you may remember me. But I, I feel like often guys have a hard time accepting the fact that they're no longer an athlete and they need something from somebody else. Well, it's the ego,
1: right? You know, yeah. the ego gets in the way of a lot of people in this world. And it doesn't have to just be sports, but a lot of it is sports because we're in the limelight. Yeah. You're on TV. You might be in a magazine. You might be on Sports Center. Kids look up to you. They buy your jersey. Hey, can I get your autograph? All of a sudden, that goes away. Hey, you look like you play football. Well, damn, I do play football. You don't know my name? So I've seen that firsthand with some with some athletes, and it's it's tough with a lot of them. I yeah. think it's more tough for the superstars, you know, especially because if you're always recognized when you go out, oh, let me get you a picture with you. My kids love you. And then all of a sudden, that fades. What do you have? Can you accept asking for help? It's tough for some of them, you and know, you, but
0: you've always been the person that people idolize and they assume there's an assumption that you know what you're doing and you have everything together. And now to be in a position where you're admittedly you don't have it together, it's it's an unfamiliar position to be in. It really it's, is. It's uncharted territory personally. And I, I feel like so many times people are more concerned about what the perception of that is because their identity has been formed by everybody else's concept of who they are. And you say that guy's been successful at every level,
1: right? You know, high school, All-American, college, All-American, makes it to the NFL, but doesn't make it. Now, all of a sudden, that successful guy is asking somebody to get a basic level, you know, job. You know how tough that is for some dudes to, you know, swallow their pride and say, "Okay, you're right. I'll work behind this desk or you're right. I'll do this internship for a year with minimum pay to be where I'm at it's tough for an athlete, especially a successful one. Like Most people are just like, yes, I got the opportunity. I can't wait to get in there. I get to learn from the best financial dude, the best lawyer, the best media guy. Athletes are like, well, I'm the man. How am I going to take instruction from this other dude? And I feel like the more vulnerable athletes become after they leave and the more people that talk about it, they'll bring down their wall and say, okay, I am ready to learn. And you know what? I was successful at football. Now I'm going to be successful at Whatever the next step is, whether that's a lawyer, sports media, financial, I'm going to be the best. And I feel like that's why a lot of people like to hire athletes Mm. because we grind. Yeah. We're nonstop. How do I become successful?
0: You say vulnerable. I love that word. I mean, we use it in my office all the time. I love confrontation. I love conflict because it's an opportunity just to break down barriers and fix something. Right. That's that's conceptually an obstacle right? Or a wall and to work through it together. In order to do that, everybody has to lay down their strengths, their weaknesses, their deficiencies, their faults, their successes. They have to put it all on the table. And if you're not honest and transparent in that process, you're not going to get it done at all. You're not going to get it done And you know, we're sitting here in the point of this podcast is to talk about the transition from athletics to whatever the next thing is that isn't athletics or a career where you aren't playing. But you can go into finance and pivot and go into marketing or pivot and go into hospitality or open up a restaurant or an ice cream shop. Like there's so many different pivots that you go through. And I just feel like because athletics is so specific and perceived as being so different than an ordinary life that most of the population has an opportunity to, to experience there's this concept within all of us as athletes that we don't have to experience what everybody else does and we're never gonna have to. And then it's almost like you've been tossed a hot potato of kryptonite, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I think the beautiful thing with so many guys is when they can be humbled and be like, you know what? I'm so grateful, I'm so thankful for this opportunity that I had in athletics because it's so unique and different than what other people have had to experience. And now I'm going to take that with me and use it moving forward. It's no different than being in the military, right? No. Or, or, or studying abroad. You're just getting a different perspective. I see a lot of times people feel, I felt I felt this way. I, I went into grad school, so I, I got hurt my senior year. And then I went and I got a master's because I wanted people to think I was smart. And you know, it was in psychology and it always interested me. But I felt like it was I was at a distinct disadvantage having – not had internship hours, right? And and not having any, any research credentials. And I went in and I interviewed for it and they're like, listen, like we don't get a lot of people who have your experience and they're, they're sympathetic to that. They're like, and they embrace it. like, we want people who are different. It's not a disadvantage. No. And I think if athletes can learn to embrace that and, own the individuality and own the opportunity to be a novice and be a student again. Like that's really what success is based off of in anything moving forward, continually embracing being a novice and learning new things. How many times can you learn how to kick a football?
1: Yeah, you're right. (laughs) You're right. Right? Yeah. I mean, listen, it's kind of that saying, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. You know, continuously, I'm just picking people's brains. If someone says, hey, this is what I do. Okay. Well, How'd you get into it? Oh, talk me through it. What do you guys do in the everyday business? Okay, so what is this strategy? I just like learning yeah. for me. And, you know, being in Miami, living in this city now, I get the opportunity to meet some of the most successful people in this city at their field. And I love it. Love going to lunch. I love going to dinner and just asking them. About it because I don't feel the most gratifying thing to watch is somebody that's passionate about what they do. And they just ooze it out. And they yeah. just can't wait to talk about it. You know, and it's to me, that's so interesting.
0: And it's contagious. You know, you're around people who are leaders in their field or even starting something new. Maybe they're yeah. not a leader in their field. And you just see the passion and they don't care how they're coming off. Right. They don't care what their affect might be. You just see them get lost in talking about these things. And it's like, that's contagious. You're like, I, I want I want that in, in whatever I'm doing. And at least for me, I always had to see something done the right way or be effective to know that I could do it. I had a very hard time trying something for the first time without knowing that there's a chance of success. Yeah. So when you see people who are leaders in their field taking notes and asking questions and admitting what they don't know, you're like, all right, well, well, I can do that now in in anything. And you've had an opportunity to meet really some people who are at the top of their fields in one of the top industries, in the top markets in the country, if not the world. Yeah. I mean, talk to me about some of those experiences and talk to me about some of those experiences and how you value them and and how you you plan to use them moving forward. Well, I mean, you look
1: at, you know, you look at football and, you know, the one thing about University of Miami is we're a brotherhood. Mm. So we have one of the best fraternities in the country, bar none. Nobody, I don't care what college football team tells you, oh, we get 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 together once a year now. You, you're not the you. I mean, literally, I know the dudes from the 80s teams. Yeah. You know, and I never played with them. I was damn near barely born. But you need anything, I got you. Yeah. Reach out. I'll help you any way I can. If I, if I can't do it, I'll figure out a way someone else can do it. And I feel like that's the one thing the University of Miami, as far as football itself, does for you. You know, I got into the media world doing radio because I did an interview for 790 The Ticket on the All Canes radio show. One guy said, you drip decent at it. You should try it out. So I did. And that came from just playing football. I mean, all my opportunity work-wise has been through the University of Miami, you know, and you, you're just blessed that, you know, you have a brother that you can just say, hey, I want to do this. Do you know anybody? Uh, I'll ask around. Cool. Next thing you know, a couple of days later, hey, Texas dude, maybe set up a meeting. If You guys can work it out. You can work it out. If
0: not, you can. So go back to that experience that you talked about walking on the bus, right, or actually being in the locker room mm-hmm. and figuring out a way not to get beat up. Yeah. I and just kept my mouth shut. <laughs> keep your mouth shut. And, and it's and, hard
1: for me to do because I talk a lot.
0: You do talk a lot. I which do. Which is why you're a fantastic guest. I talk a lot. So you figure out a way not to get beat up and earn the trust and the respect of your teammates and guys who have proven themselves and guys that you're looking up to. hmm Now, as you've transitioned out of sport, do you feel yourself in a similar position, not not getting beat up, but finding a way to earn the trust and respect from people who have now made it outside of sports?
1: I think I've done that. You know, I think people that know me as the man that I am, mm. you know, genuine, trustworthy. The biggest thing for me is loyalty. Mm. You want to ask me something, I'm I'm loyal to the fault. Like, that's what I am. And I think that's where I a lot of people do gravitate towards me because I'm 100% real. I'm blunt sometimes too much but this is who i am you know so i do my thing they have their all their you know success in different things but you know getting into the radio having them come on as guests it's never a second you know doubt hey i got you bro yeah. whenever you need me i got you yeah so i feel like that's where i, I get my respect and, and stuff like that from those guys and again it's one of those things where if i need help with something i'll ask them hey i got a question about this and i'll go to whatever guy that's successful in that because mm-hmm. a lot of the dudes now are Very successful in their fields. It's awesome to see. And the only thing you want from your brothers is to be successful. Yeah. So if I can help them with anything, introduce them to somebody, cool. If they can help me, they'll do it. If they want to come on the show, talk about anything, just kicking it,
0: let's do it. So you talk about a brotherhood. A brotherhood is really just a reciprocity of doing good for each other. That's it. Because you're sharing the successes of each other. It's not a selfish.
1: At all. You're family. You're literally family. Yeah. Even if it's the smallest things. Hey, bro, I know you got a up at this restaurant. Can you give me a reservation? Yeah, cool, no problem. Let me put in some words. Boom, get a text message back. Hey, your reservation's for next week. Really? Yeah, I got you. I don't need anything in return.
0: Yeah. I'm not even going to ask you for anything because that's what you do as family. And there's, you know, everyone says it. It always comes up. It's not what you know, it's it's who you know. And I I, I said it in, a, in another session. You know, it, it's not what you know... It's who you know. It's definitely what you know. Uh-huh. It's definitely who you know. And it's who you are. I was gonna
1: say you gotta finish it up because it's you might know a bunch of people, but you could be an a-hole and they're not gonna like you. So they're not gonna wanna be around you. You know, you you work in the business, you know, you guys do business with lots of people in Miami. Why am I gonna do business with John Wiselo instead of this company? Why? Because I like you. I like hanging out with you. Hey, Wiselo, let's go get some drinks. Hey, let's go to dinner. I can shoot the shit with you and still do great business with you because you're a great human being. There's a lot of people out there that aren't. They're smart, they're
0: not great human beings. So why am I gonna wanna do business with you? I'm I'm so glad you said that I'm awesome. No, I'm so glad that you said that. (laughs) I'm so glad you said that because it's it's what you know but you don't necessarily need to be the best at the tasks. You don't need to be the best at the technical skill sets. You need to be good. You need to be knowledgeable and you need to be self-aware and you need to be honest. And I think something that you've always been tremendous at is understanding social currency. Not necessarily how it can be used to your advantage, but there's a genuine and authentic nature to the way that you do things. And I think when you say, you know, people just know that I got it. I think I've earned that. It's because you're authentic. Yeah. It's because they know that you're not trying to be somebody that you're not. You know what your strengths are. You know how you can offer help to others and you do that in any way that you can. And I think in return, people recognize how they can help you and they want to do that because they want you to be successful for their own benefit. Yeah. Right? Because it, it feels good. And and I think as you as you get older and as you transition into into business and into manhood or, or womanhood, you recognize that that life is an act of service. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is outside of religion or or anything like that, but you can really only serve other people if you're honest with who you are as yourself and you're transparent with that in your conversations. Because then at least you know what the baseline is and you know how to collaboratively work with that baseline to get something done together. You, You
1: know, unfortunately, we live in Miami, fortunate and unfortunate, because there's a lot of fake people here. And you have to weed that out. And you know, fake people, they might they might write a good way for No, what do you mean what year. do you mean by that?
0: Because I'm not disagreeing with you, but what do you mean by fake people? So Cause I have my own definition of that.
1: To me, it's you know, it's like the Instagram world. It's like the social media world. Yeah. I put out this persona that I'm this. When deep down inside you know you're not. You're maxing out credit cards. And why
0: and why do you think people do that?
1: Because it's fake until you make it here they want to rub elbows with the right people so they think they need to drive a certain car they need to wear a certain watch they need to put on a certain outfit like yo be you yeah. you know like I, I don't fake anything me i wear a t-shirt some jeans and some nice shoes fitted t-shirt fitted t-shirt kind of show my shoulders for the ladies and yeah. stuff like that but this is me if you don't like me for me it's not a big deal i'm not going to lose sleep at night yeah i don't care if you are you got a million dollars i don't care if you got a billion dollars are you cool Okay, we cool. We can have a drink. Cheers, man. That's what's up. Same. All the celebrities I've met in my life, the ones I respect you the most are the ones where this you just shoot the shit with. Hey, what's up, man? You good? Yeah, I'm good, man. Okay, cool. Where are you from? I act stupid. I know who you are, but I yeah. I don't really don't care about that. I don't care that you're a rapper. I don't care you're a movie star. Are you cool? Cool, because
0: I've met some a-holes. And you know some real people and you're friends with some real people. Yeah. Some, some and it's, Celebrities athletes athletes, and celebrities sometimes go hand in hand. I mean, they all want to be the same, right? One wants to be the
1: athlete, the athlete wants to be the, the rapper, the rapper wants to be the athlete, the celeb wants, it's, it's just how it is. Yeah. And those, they work very well together, I think, because in both of their fields, whether you're a celeb, a movie star, whether you're a, a, an artist, it's the same thing with being an athlete. You have to grind. You got all these different pillars you have to, you know, get above. Athletes have to start as a young age, grind the way up, you know, go through school and everything else. Artists, You know, you're an actor. You go to an audition, you didn't get the part. Go to another audition, you didn't get the part. Failure after failure after failure. Then all of a sudden, boom, I got the one opportunity, and now I'm successful. Football player, you don't make it in the league. Opportunity, you get cut. Another team, you get cut. Another team, you get cut. Boom. Now I'm a 10-year
0: NFL veteran, five-time pro. And what I think is beautiful and what people on the outside don't understand, some people do, right? Because in, in, in business, you've got people who have, invested their life savings in a startup and failed and couldn't get investors. They did get investors and they couldn't pay them back. And and then there's years down the line of success story. But I, even them, not even them, I would say them, them also or they also can relate. And I think that's where like the mutual respect comes in is grit and perseverance and you get that respect by knowing that you're in the room or amongst people who have gone through it time and time again, dealt with it, been self-aware, been vulnerable, and continued to improve until they accomplished whatever they set out to accomplish.
1: And that's the amazing conversations that I sit back and watch when I see you know, friends of mine that have been big-time athletes talk to somebody that's successful as an artist or a movie star. And then you just listen to what they talk about the grind and what they went through and how do they persevere? And you're just like, damn, this conversation is amazing. And you just sit back and enjoy it and soak everything else up because you have so much in common, mm. very different. You may be, if you didn't become a celebrity and you didn't become this big time football player, you might've never ever talked because you came from different walks of life. But now that you guys are successful and you're sitting in the same room, the conversations just open up. Yeah. And you're like, wow. Would have never known you were this type of person. Would have never known you have this going for you. Would have never known you're this smart. And now this is what really creates, I think, when it comes to friendships and family, when you have multi multi-religion, friends and family where you're just looking like Jewish, black, Asian, Brazilian, Haitian, that's what this world needs to be made of. If we have more of that, this would be such a better place as far as hate. Just more love, more. You don't look like me. Cool. Let's have a conversation.
0: Absolutely. Where are you from? Oh, you're Jewish. What is that about? Agreeing to disagree, respecting both sides, hearing alternative perspectives, and I think you know, thought leader is now a term. Mm-hmm. Right? I, see, I see, like influencer, like that. Oh, God. Yeah. Anyone, every people actually aspire to be. Oh, I know. Influencers wow. now. I had a,
1: I had a, a young client. She's twelve. She, uh, we had a group session. She says, I want to I, I, I be an influence when I get older. I said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, please don't say that word ever again around mm. me. You don't strive to be a, an Instagram, quote unquote, air quotes, model.
0: Now, now, hold on a sec. Now, you want to influence me and be a true influencer? Because there are people who are influencers. Oh, there's there are some amazing ones that you sit there and listen to them. And you're like, wow. But get outside the term influencer first. Yes. Second. They're thought leaders. Yeah. Because they dare to think differently. Mm-hmm and embrace alternative perspectives. And oftentimes, I would say most of the time, they give credit to other people that they've had the good fortune of being in the same room with and reflecting on those experiences that allowed them to then think differently. And I think by expanding how we think through reflecting on other people's experiences is what's beautiful. And as we move forward, forward in our careers outside of sport or even if we pivot in a different professional career, it's the ability to look outside of your own experiences and get alternative perspectives and recognize who you can identify as a new role model or your new peer group or a new mentor that's going to allow you to take the next step in dare, right, in dare to fail Again and embrace that. I mean, I'll tell you, even with this podcast. I mean, you know how many times I broke this equipment trying oh, to set sure. it up.
1: For sure, for sure. I mean, but that's the that's that's the fun of it.
0: Yeah. Right? You, you fail.
1: Okay. How do I get better? I listen to it again. Okay. Boom. Podcast is done. I'm in my car. I'm listening. Okay. Man, I say that word way too much. Okay. I need to clean the intro up. I need to do this. Hey, can you can you listen to my podcast? Since this is what you do, and 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 give me any constructive criticism. You sure you want me to do that? Yeah. Just tell me how bad I am at everything else. Yeah. How else am I going to get good at it? You are successful at it. Tell me what I need to do to get at your level. And then the next time I'm going to ask the next person that's at a different level, how do I get to your level? For and sure. Keep on going and just strive to be great.
0: Well, you're going to have to listen to the raw footage of this and give me feedback. Oh, for
1: sure. I mean, listen, it's the only way that we get better at anything in this world. Yeah. If you can't take con- constructive criticism,
0: you're never going to be good. If you can't ask for help, you're never going to be good. By the way, in anything. In anything. Right? Doesn't have to do with sports. In, in in my company now, in other companies, I think it's the ability to take feedback and take constructive criticism and own it and look at it as an opportunity to improve that's going to set you apart. I mean, if you think you're the best already,
1: now nah, you got issues. Mm. You got some you got some issues because there's I mean, listen, when you got guys like Bill Gates and all the rest of them, and they have a team where he's asking, Hey, what do you think of this? That's Bill Gates. Yeah. He's asking questions too. So if a guy that's worth, I don't know how many
0: billions of dollars asking questions, why can't you? Look, I'm in construction in, in real estate. It's a, it's an industry full of egos and yes. personalities, okay? And by the way, different vernaculars, different actual language barriers, yep. and then different understandings of what goals are. You got to get the, the translator out on your phone, just back and forth. Boop, here you go. Boop. I've done it. Yeah, me too.
1: I've been in 15 <laughs> years. I don't,
0: speak, I, I don't speak a lick of Spanish. Me neither. Uh, un piquito for me. Un poquito. Yeah, un poquito. That's it. You took my joke. But (laughs) (laughs) at least we're on the same same level with that. So, you know, I I look at every single project I've ever done. There's been at least one period, right, or one instance or one event where people have spent time creating a narrative around a mistake that was made to frame it in a different way. And it's like how much wasted energy do we spend – Trying to frame things that put us in a positive light and don't admit fault. Like, listen, man, like, just, you screwed it up. We'll fix it. That's it. You know how much stuff I screw up every single day? I'm telling you, if anyone is listening who is a client of mine or a coworker of mine, I screw things up every single day. My career is predicated on screwing things up and not doing it again. We're doing it less bad. That's it. The next time. And that's, to me, in its simplest form, it's being self aware enough to recognize that we're all very imperfect and extremely flawed in everything we do, there's an opportunity to incrementally get better at it. Cause none of us like sucking. I, I, I put together a new piece of exercise equipment in my house. One of the concept two. That's why you're jacked, man. Skiers. You got your own home gym. I mean, getting ripped. It's cool, man. It's all right. I don't know, gas is expensive now. I'm not yeah, trying to drive to you're the gym. Right. It is. It yeah. is expensive. <laughs> but nothing we can do about that. But dude, I put this thing together. It's got five pieces and you I'm in construction up. for a living. Yeah. I, it, I, I attached the wrong arms to the wrong side. Like there's five pieces. I installed three of them backwards. And it's, I loved it though. You know, because you, you, you learn from it. And I was like, you know what, next time I'll read through the entire manual before I assume that I know what I'm doing. And it, I think it's cool to make mistakes, man. And I, I think that when people like me and you or the people that we're friends with who have succeeded at different levels or struggled at different levels can have that commonality. Like that, that's what really creates meaningful relationships. And that's what carries you through life. Yeah. Those things create opportunities in business. Those things create opportunities in your personal life.
1: You might meet your, your significant other through friends or through business because, Hey man, you know what? I got a perfect dude for you. He's a great dude. You should meet him. Boom. Oh, there's my wife.
0: You never know. By the way, and in, in business, how often I mean, we, we, we're in a referral-based business. I mean, yeah, we got marketing and e-blasts and stuff that go out. But at the end of the day, somebody's gonna ask somebody for a reference. And at least for us, when we ask for references, if people say, "Look, the principal of that company, or the or the project manager on on that team, great people, good dudes, they're honest, hardworking, they're accessible," like that's all I need to hear. That's it. I don't give a shit what systems you use. I mean, I, I want you to be organized, right? And I want you to to be proactive. But at the end of the day, I don't care what color your letterhead is. I don't care. I just want good people who are honest. That's it. So I think if there's a takeaway from all this, it's understanding how important self-awareness is throughout any sort of transition process and the acceptance and the willingness to be vulnerable in all of our interactions in letting go of whatever, we believe other people's perceptions to be of us in being willing to start new and open-minded in all the new relationships and current relationships that we have.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, if somebody forms an opinion about you that's only had one conversation with you, it's probably wrong, but let them run with it. Yeah. Because they don't know you. Don't get caught up in, oh, my God, this person's talking about me. He thinks this. So, do you know him? Do you like him like that? Who cares? Move on with your life. People get caught up in the small opinions of people that don't matter in their in their world you know what matters is what do you have going on in your world Mm. these are the people that matter do they know you they know you cool keep moving keep grinding because no matter what there's gonna be jealous people there's gonna be people that talk trash about you even it might not be right
0: that means you're doing something right and keep on going absolutely
1: that's all you gotta do
0: and the other thing i'll say is that at least for me this is just my own personal experience i constantly year after year as I continue to get better at what I'm doing or do new things or try new things there's always periods of self-doubt of course always yeah how can I screw this up how do I avoid screwing this up I just did this very poorly I need to do it better again but I'm constantly doubting myself and I think I look back now and I think everything I've ever doubted myself in I've, I've found a way to not screw it up. Yeah. But repeated experience of doubting yourself and working through that through collaborating and finding resources to help you if you're deficient in something, asking for advice or throwing an idea away and starting over again. Repeated experience doing that, normalizing that self-doubt period in the acceptance of that, I think is a tremendous skill set that we all need to recognize to embrace. As, as we move forward.
1: Like you said, you, you attempted it, you know, right? There's one of the sayings that I live by. Don't regret the things you do. Mm. Regret the things you don't do. It's always been taught to me. Don't say what if later in life. Say I tried it, didn't work, but at least I attempted it. People that say what if, you don't want to have regrets. You don't want to think seven years later, I could have had this opportunity, this job. You don't want to say, oh my God, I should have said hello to that girl or that guy. Could have been your girlfriend or boyfriend or yeah. wife or husband. Just go for it. Who cares if you get rejected? One thing we're guaranteed in this life, we're all gonna get rejected at something. Don't care what it is, you're gonna get rejected. So the more you get comfortable and say, okay, I'm gonna get rejected, you'll be more successful. There's gonna be doors slammed in your face. Go to the next door. Yes. Go to the next opportunity.
0: That should do it. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to share with a friend, family member, colleague or just listen to it over and over again don't forget to follow us on instagram it's at postgame podcast underscore or if you really have nothing to do you can feel free to follow my personal instagram it's at jonathan weislow until next time this has been the postgame podcast